you have your Bible with you, take it out again, please, and go over into your New Testament to the book of 2 Thessalonians. When you go into your Bible this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading with verse number 1 in just a moment. As you turn there and get ready to study this morning, let me just be straightforward with you about the purpose of this sermon. With this sermon this morning, I want to accomplish two things that God wants me as a preacher to make sure I accomplish from time to time. I want to equip and I want to encourage. I want to equip and I want to encourage. I want to equip the saints against false teaching concerning a very important topic. This is something that Paul told Timothy to do constantly. A preacher has a responsibility to equip the saints and to equip them against false teaching. And I also want to encourage you. I want to encourage you concerning some very important promises God has made you as, as his children. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1, Paul says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. How often... How often do you think about what Paul is talking about there in those verses? How often in your daily life do you seriously think about what Paul is talking about in those verses? I want to begin this morning by, by asking you that question. Because we need to understand that this issue that Paul is talking about there in those verses is a big part of the New Testament. It is a big part of the gospel. It is something that is actually mentioned by the Lord himself several times in the gospels. It is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is taught on in the book of Acts. It is alluded to all throughout the epistles. It is alluded to in the Thessalonian letters. It is alluded to in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter, 1 John, 1 and 2 Timothy. I mean, it's all over the place. As I've already stated, this issue that Paul talks about here is an issue that is mentioned over and over again throughout the New Testament. And the reason why that is, brothers and sisters, is because we need to understand that in the time of the first century, this issue was a very controversial issue. It was a very divisive issue. Going back to what Paul says there in those verses, notice how in those verses Paul tells the Christians in Thessalonica that they needed to watch out for false doctrines that were being spread about this issue. He tells them to beware of false teachers are false prophets who were trying to convince them that this event, the return of Jesus, had already occurred in their lifetime. That's what Paul says there in those verses. And just from that alone, we can see very clearly that this issue, this event that Paul talks about there was confusing 
and it was controversial during the time of the early church, but not only was it confusing and controversial 2,000 years ago in the time of the early church, we also need to understand that it is very confusing and controversial for a lot of people in our time today. It is also something that a lot of people have a lot of questions about today. You know, I can remember when Brother Brian told me maybe a few months ago that the topic we get asked the most about through our website is the return of Jesus. It's the return of the Lord in the end of the world. A lot of people ask us questions about those things through our website. In fact, during my almost two years of being able to work with this wonderful church, many of you, members of this congregation, have come up to me personally and asked me questions about the return of Jesus and the end of the world. Many of you have requested sermons or different avenues of teaching concerning this event. Many of you know that there are many conflicting and confusing things being taught about this event. For example, you talk to some people in our time today about the return of Jesus, and you know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you that it's not going to happen. They'll tell you that he is not coming back or that he already returned in some spiritual sense centuries ago and everybody missed it. Nobody saw it. Nobody was able to see it with the physical eye. There are a lot of people who don't believe in a personal and literal return of Jesus. But then there are some other people who do believe in a personal return of Jesus. But then they'll take it a step further and they'll say that we can actually know when that's going to happen. They'll say that we can actually concoct formulas and, and, and figure out exactly when the Lord is going to come back. These are your date setters. You ever heard of date setters before? You ever heard of people popping up throughout the centuries? Trying to accurately predict when the Lord is going to come back and they're wrong every single time. There have been hundreds, literally hundreds of those kinds of people who have popped up throughout the last 2,000 years. You see, unfortunately, like in the time of the Apostle Paul, even in our time today, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of controversy surrounding the return of the Lord and the end of the world. The question is, what's the truth? What does the Bible really say about this? What does the Bible really promote about this issue that continues to cause so much confusion and division among religious people? Well, this morning, this morning, this study, if you don't mind, I, I want to talk with you about that. This morning, I want to take a few moments to reconsider and remind ourselves of what the Bible has to say about the return of our Lord. Specifically, I would like for us to consider this subject by asking some common or by answering some common questions that are asked about this event. And the first question is this. The first question that a lot of people have about the return of Jesus and the end of the world is, number one, they want to know, is it even going to happen? Is the Lord really going to return? Is the Lord personally really going to return? 
believe it or not, but a lot of people, a lot of religious folks, I ask that question all the time. In fact, maybe you have that question this morning. If you do, take out your Bible with me and go to John, the 14th chapter. Will you go in your Bible to John chapter 14? Hope you got your Bible because we're going to be working these Bibles pretty good this morning. And so we want to go to John chapter 14. Look at verse number one. This is Jesus speaking, and in the context, it's not going to be long before he is taken and crucified for the sins of the world. He's trying to prepare his apostles for that moment, and he comforts them with these words. In John 14 and verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Some of your translations say, My Father's house are many mansions. Same idea. There's enough room for all of God's children in heaven. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this now, I will. Do you see that? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Notice how here in this verse, Jesus promises. He promises to one day come back. He promises to one day personally personally come back for his people. That's what he clearly says in John 14 and verse 3, but he is not the only one that makes that promise. I'm also reminded of what the angels of God say in Acts chapter 1. Go in your Bible now to Acts chapter 1. Here in Acts 1, beginning with verse number 9, we read about the ascension of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. In Acts 1 and verse 9, after being raised from the dead and after spending about 40 days with his apostles, it says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up. Watch the language. He was lifted up while they were looking on. They, the apostles, were looking on. And a cloud, a literal cloud, received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men, these are two angels, Two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way. In just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Question. Here's my question this morning, okay? My question is, how did Jesus leave the earth? How did Jesus leave the earth? Did he leave personally? Did he leave visibly? Did the apostles see him as he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God? Is that what happened? According to the text, that's exactly what happened. According to the text, Jesus' departure was visible. And it was personal, and the angels promised that his return will be in just the same way. Verse 11, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Translation, just like Jesus left personally, he's going to one day return personally. Just like he left bodily, he's one day going to return bodily. Just like people saw him go up into heaven, they're also going to see him when they return to the earth. That is the clear 
clear implication of what the Lord is saying there in those verses. You got to work hard to mess that up. According to what the angels say, the Lord's return is not going to go unnoticed. It's not going to be something mysterious or, or spiritual. It's not going to be something that, that any person on the planet is going, to, is going to miss. Instead, it's going to be visible. It's going to be personal. It's going to be in the same way that he went to heaven. Both Jesus and the angels promise a literal and a personal return of Jesus. But this does bring us now to a second question that people have, and that is, when is this going to happen? When is the promise of Jesus and the angels going to be fulfilled? Will there be any signs that precede his return? Will there be any signs that give us a heads up that his return is imminent? I mean, could the COVID pandemic be a sign that the Lord is about to come back soon? Could the earthquakes and the various famines throughout the world and the continual, continual moral depravity in our society be signs that the Lord is about to come back in our lifetime? A lot of people have those questions. Have you heard those before? Those questions usually come as a result of a misunderstanding of Matthew 24. And so go in your Bible to Matthew 24. Go in your Bible to Matthew 24. So often people go to Matthew 24 and they'll say, well, the signs that are mentioned in this, in this chapter, in verses 4 down to verse 33, have to do with signs that will precede the second coming of Jesus, the second personal coming of Jesus. And when people suggest that, all that shows is a failure to study the context of the chapter carefully. In verse number three, if you look at Matthew 24 to verse three, Jesus talks about a time when the temple was going to be destroyed. History confirms that that took place in 70 AD after the destruction of Jerusalem. 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem and they tore up the city, tore the temple down, killed about a million Jews. And so all these signs that are mentioned in verses 4 down to verse number 33 have to do with signs that will precede that horrible event. The earthquakes, the wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the gospel being preached in all the world, the false prophets, the, the betrayal of Christians. All that stuff has nothing to do with the second personal return of Jesus. It all has to do with what would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus makes this point very clear in verse 34. In verse number 34, he says, truly, I say to you, this generation, not our generation, the generation of that day, the generation he was speaking to then, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All what things? Everything he has said in the prior verses. Everything he said in the prior verses was going to be signs that preceded the destruction of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. I submit that there is where the chapter break needs to be. There, Jesus is talking about something totally different. Before, you could know when the event was going to take place. You could know through the signs. The various signs would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. But here in verse 36, he talks about an occasion, the second coming, when he comes again, that no one knows 
Not even the angels know. Not even he knows. He knew about the destruction of Jerusalem. He knew about the signs. They could know. But he says, no one knows this one, the angels, nor the son, but only the father. Only the father knows when he's going to come again. Personally, he goes on to describe it like the days of Noah. He also describes it like a thief in the night in this chapter. Put that now with 1 Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians because Paul gives a similar, a similar thought. I'm going to start in chapter 4. In chapter 4, beginning with verse 16, the Thessalonians had a lot of questions about the return of Jesus and what happened to the saved once they died, what was going to happen to them. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul says this, in verse 16, for the Lord himself, notice that language again, personal, personal return, the Lord himself, himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection, the resurrection. Then we who are alive, there are going to be some saints alive on the earth when Jesus comes back. And remain will be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. That's not what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem. That wasn't sudden. That took several months, several years to finally be accomplished. This event, though, is going to be sudden, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Notice how when it comes to answering the question before us, the Apostle Paul gives us a clear answer to it. He gives us a clear answer to this question. In fact, he provides us with two examples or two illustrations to explain it. First, he says that the return of Jesus is going to be like a thief. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Question, has anyone here, raise your hand if you've ever had your home broken into before. Anybody here ever had your home broken into? Look at that. A lot of people have. A lot of people have been victimized by thieves before. Now, for those of you who've been victimized by thieves, let me ask you this now. How was that experience? I mean, before the thief broke into your home, did he give you a heads up? Did he, did he give you an opportunity to anticipate his arrival? Living in Arizona for a couple of years, I know that if he did that, that wasn't going to be good. I know how y'all are here. Did he send you a text message? He sent you a Facebook message? He sent you a tweet, an email? Did he let you know exactly what time he was going to be at your house and you could prepare for him? Is that how that experience was? Or did he come unexpectedly? Did he come unannounced? Did he come suddenly and maybe during a time when you didn't expect him to? Is that how it was? That's how Paul says the return of the Lord is going to be. It's going to be like a thief, a thief in the night. But not only is it going to be like a thief in the night, he also says it's going to be like the onset of labor pains for a woman with child. I got to tell you this one right here. This one hits me close to home. Many of you know that my wife is one of the friendliest people you're going to meet. Would you agree with that? One of the friendliest people you're going to meet is my wife. 
And let me tell you something, she's the real deal on that. It's not just an act, you do it here and go home and be somebody else. She's that way literally all the time. She's one of the friendliest people you're going to meet, but there has been one time, one time, when I have seen her get mean and just ugly with me and frustrated. And you know when that was? That was about three hours before our first son was born, our first child was born. And I can remember that day like it was yesterday. It was February 15th of 2010. We got up that morning. We went and saw our doctor in Leesburg, Florida. And you know what he told us? He told us everything's fine. We're all on schedule. It's all good. You got about two weeks, he told us, before you welcome your son into the world. That's what he told us. And since he's the one with all the degrees and everything, guess we believed him. We took his word for it. We left the doctor's office. We went out to eat. We did some shopping. We ran some errands. We had a pretty normal day. But at about midnight that night, we were in for the shock of our lives. <laughs> at around midnight, my wife ran to the bedroom. And she told me, boy, you better get up and you better get me to the hospital. <laughs> she said, I'm in a lot of pain. She said, I just talked to the doctor, and you better get the baby bag, load me up in the car, and get me there fast because this baby is coming. She said that to me, and she was dead serious. She wasn't kidding. And I got to tell you, from that experience, that experience, we learned what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in a very practical way. No longer were Paul's words just words on a page. From that experience on February the 16th of 2010, we learned that when it comes to labor pains, on a woman with child, sometimes those pains come sudden. Sometimes they come out of nowhere. Sometimes they come during a time when the woman, and especially the father, is, is not expecting them. That's how Paul describes the return of Jesus. He says it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like labor pains coming upon a woman with child. In other words, when our Lord comes back, brothers and sisters, there's not going to be any signs given. It's not going to be a warning. It's not going to be a heads up. It's not going to be some way we're going to be able to concoct some formula to figure it out. Instead, it's going to happen just like that. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be fast. It's going to be swift. It's going to take place during a time when, unfortunately, a lot of people are not going to be ready. No man or woman can know or calculate the coming of the Lord. In fact, for the numerous people who have tried to do that throughout the centuries, you know what they've really done? They really have done more harm to the cause of Christianity than good. They really have done more harm to the work of evangelism than good. I mean, think about it. When these date setters like Charles T. Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses or William Miller or Harold Campion a few years ago or John Hagee, even most recently, when they make their failed predictions, not only do they attempt to do the impossible, not only do they say they have the inside scoop on something that Jesus says that he doesn't even have the inside scoop on, but you know what else they do? They also give critics of Christianity an opportunity to mock and ridicule us. 
They also give the critics of the cross an opportunity to laugh at us and blaspheme God. They give the atheist and the, and the agnostic an opportunity to say things like, look at those Christians. There they go with their predicting the end again. There they go saying that the Bible tells us exactly when their Lord is going to come back and he hasn't come back yet. It's been 2000 years and they've been wrong every single time. Guess what? I guess that means you can't trust the Bible. I guess that means you can't trust anything that is found in that book. They've been saying for 2000 years the Lord's going to come back on this day and that day and that day and he can't come back yet. They have a failed religion. When men attempt to do something that Jesus says no man can do, all they really do is cause more unbelief in the world. No man or woman can know when the Lord is going to come back. It's going to be like a thief. It's going to be like labor pays upon a woman with child. But this does bring us now to the third question that people have about this event. And that is when it does take place. What exactly is going to happen? I mean, what other events are going to accompany this grand event? If you don't mind, I want to quickly give you a, a rapid fire list of some things that the Bible says is going to accompany the return of Jesus. Write these down real quick. First, notice how when the Lord comes back, according to the Bible, the world, planet Earth, all this we see and experience, it's, it's going to be no more. The whole universe will be no more. And I know that seems impossible to believe, but the Bible says that. Second Peter chapter three. Look at second Peter three. In second Peter three, Peter makes it clear in the context that in his time, he dealt with a bunch of folks who were mocking the return of Jesus. They were saying he's not going to come back. He hasn't come back yet. Peter had to deal with those people like we got to deal with them today. But he says the Lord is going to come back. He says that just like the Lord destroyed the literal world of Noah with water, he's also going to do the same thing again, only the next time it's not going to be hitting the restart, restart button on the world. It's going to be destroying it completely with fire. That's what he says in verse number 10, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. That's a promise. And it's going to come like a thief. There that is again. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's pretty clear to understand there. The earth's going to be destroyed when Jesus comes back. Universe will be no more when the Lord returns. That's one of the things that will accompany the return of Jesus. But not only will the world be destroyed, you know what else is going to happen? The resurrection. The resurrection. When we say the resurrection, when the Bible says the resurrection, we're talking about all the dead, all the dead being raised. We're talking about all the souls in Hades, all the souls in paradise. They're going to be reunited with their bodies. And they're going to be changed. In John chapter 5, in verse number 28, Jesus said it this way. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. 
And they're going to come forth, those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who have done the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in that whole chapter, Paul deals with the resurrection. But notice verse number 23. In verse number 23, as Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus, he says, but each in his own order. Now he's talking about our resurrection. Christ, the first fruits. Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first one to be raised to never die again. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. We're going to be raised at his coming. Verse 24, then comes the end, the end of the world. He, when he hands over the kingdom, of, to, the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Do you see that? Resurrection is going to take place when the Lord comes back. Resurrection is going to take place before, right before the end. The dead will be raised Souls will be reunited with bodies and change. Paul makes that point throughout that chapter. There will be a resurrection. And there's also going to be a final judgment. There's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be a day in which all of us, all of us, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged for how I've lived my life. You're going to be judged for how you live your life. Remember our scripture reading this morning in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. There Jesus says that on this day, on the final judgment day, all the nations are going to stand before him and they're going to be separated from one another like a shepherd separates a sheep from the goats. They're going to be separated like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. Someone says, what does that imply? Well, that implies that on this day, when the Lord comes back, God's going to put an end to the righteous and the wicked coexisting together. On this day, God's going to put an end to the righteous and the wicked interacting with each other like they do on this earth. In fact, when it comes to the wicked on this day, we need to understand that they're going to be in a lot of trouble. They're going to be in a whole lot of trouble with God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says that when the Lord comes back, the wicked, those who rebelled against God, they're going to receive retribution. He says they're going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. They're going to be forever cut off from the Lord and his blessings. This is something that the Lord himself makes reference to. If you remember Matthew 25, verse 46, remember that. Remember in Matthew 25 and verse number 46, Jesus says that on this day, the righteous will go into everlasting life, but the wicked are going to go away into everlasting punishment. Pay close attention to that language, everlasting punishment. When the Lord uses the word everlasting or eternal there in that verse, he is saying that on this day when he comes back, and the judgment day takes place, time will be no more. Time will cease to exist instead of experiencing time like we do right now. After the judgment takes place, we're going to be in eternity. We're going to be in eternity in either heaven or hell. Whichever place we end up after the judgment, we're going to be there forever. Time will be no more. And eternity will begin. These are just a few of the things that the gospel says are going to occur when the greatest day yet to come in human history takes place. And let me just ask you a question. If the gospel says these things, 
If the gospel repeats these things to us over and over again of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God felt the need to take the time to put this in the Bible and have it preserved for all time. Shouldn't we be preaching it today? Shouldn't we be talking about it today? Shouldn't we even be studying about it during a time like this right now? We're all together as God's people. Of course we should. Of course we should. But this does bring us to our final question. And this question has to do with application. Let's get some application. Let's ask a question of application. And that question is, how should we respond to all this stuff? How should we respond to what the Bible tells us about the return of Jesus and the end of the world? Well, I want to give you three practical things, three things that we need to do in response to what the Bible says about this grand event. First, in response to our Lord coming like a thief in the night, we need to make sure we live right. We need to make sure that we live righteously. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, look at verse 11. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, after telling us about how the world is going to be destroyed when the Lord comes back, Peter says, as all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In verse 14, he says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent, work hard to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. What is Peter saying in those verses? Well, simply put, Peter is saying that since we don't know when the Lord is going to come back and when the world is going to end, we need to make sure we're living right. We need to make sure we're living right all the time. We need to make sure that we're always sober minded and ready. We need to make sure that we're not found unprepared and living like the world when our Lord comes back, if he comes back in our lifetime. Practically speaking, we need to make sure that we're not found living in sexual immorality. We need to make sure that we're not found being lazy and indifferent about worshiping the Lord and doing his work. We need to make sure that we're found treating other people right. We need to make sure that we're found treating our spouse right and treating our brethren right and loving our neighbors as ourselves and even loving and praying for our enemies. We need to make sure that we're not harboring any hatred or bitterness, or envy, or other ungodly things in our hearts. Since we don't know when our Lord is going to come back, we need to make sure that we're always doing our best to live right. We need to live righteously at all times. And you know what else we need to do? We need to encourage other people to live righteously. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, after telling the Thessalonian brethren that the Lord is going to come back like a thief and like labor pains upon a woman with child, in verse 11 he says, Therefore, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're also doing. Notice how in preparation for the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that the saints in Thessalonica were encouraging each other. They were encouraging each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. They were building up each other and the body of Christ. That's the mentality they were carrying with them all the time. And that's also the mentality we need to have. That's also something that we need to do as we get prepared for the return of Jesus. As we prepare for the coming of the Lord, we need to make sure that we're encouraging other people to get ready also. 
Specifically, we, we need to make sure that we are encouraging the lost around us to prepare themselves for the return of Jesus. In fact, isn't that what evangelism is all about? Isn't that what the Great Commission is all about? I mean, it's not this work of spreading the gospel and trying to win lost souls really at its core all about trying to persuade people to prepare for death and the return of Jesus. We need to encourage the lost to prepare for the coming of our Lord. And we also need to be preparing and encouraging those brethren among us or who once were among us who have left the Lord and they're going back out into the world and they're wallowing in sin right now. We need to remember those people, too. We need to be encouraging those people, too. We need to be encouraging those saints who have left us and gone back out into the world to understand that once saved, always saved is a false doctrine. It's not true just because they technically may be Christians. Just because they were at one time baptized and added to the body of Christ, if they don't come back to the Lord before he returns, they're going to suffer the same fate as those who have never even obeyed the gospel. We need to be encouraging those among us or who were at one time among us to come back before the Lord returns. And we also need to be encouraging each other. We need to be encouraging each other as people who strive to be faithful members of this church whenever we notice one another getting discouraged and ready to give up and throw in the towel. We need to help each other. We need to motivate each other. We need to constantly remind each other that everything we do in the kingdom, every trial, every tribulation, every work of service, every faithful thing we do for the Lord every single day is all going to be worth it because the Lord's going to come back. The Lord's going to come back for his, his people. He's never made a promise that he's failed to keep. We need to live righteously. We need to encourage others, and we also need to live in eager anticipation of this event. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3 one more time, please. 2 Peter 3. Look at verse 12. 2 Peter 3 and verse 12. Peter says, here in the context of talking about the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes back, he says, looking for, looking for, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat, but according to his promise, the promise of God, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth, a new order of things, a new way of living in which righteousness, righteousness dwells. Let me ask you a question. Do you find yourself eagerly anticipating what Peter talks about there in that verse? Do you find yourself eagerly anticipating the day of the Lord? Do you find yourself eagerly anticipating when the Lord is going to come back and this world is going to be destroyed? If not, my question is, why not? Why are you not excited about this? I mean, is it because you know you, you haven't been doing the things we talked about so far? Is it because you're too wrapped up in this world right now? Is it because you have forgotten the words of the song we so often sing? Words that emphasize how this world is not our home. But we're just passing through. Have you forgotten that? I ask you that because the Bible's clear on this issue. The Bible clearly says the Lord is going to come back and the world will be destroyed. And because of that, if we're truly God's children, we should be looking forward to that. 
We should be excited about that. We should be eagerly anticipating it and hoping that this day comes sooner rather than later. Now, these are just a few things, just a few things that the Bible has to say about the return of our Lord. And somebody's probably thinking right now, well, Sean, I hear what you're saying, but I still don't buy it. I still don't believe it. I still don't think it's going to happen today. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've heard many sermons about this issue. And guess what? The Lord still hadn't come back. It's been 2,000 years and he still hadn't come back yet. And so he probably is not going to come back any anytime soon. There are probably some people thinking that right now. And if so, let me say this to those folks. Let me say to you that you may be right. You may be right when you suggest that the Lord's not coming back today or tomorrow or next year or maybe even in our lifetime. But let me ask you this now. How do you know you won't die today? How do you know that today won't be your last day on this earth? You see, regardless of when you might think the Lord is going to come back, you still need to make sure you're doing the stuff we're talking about this morning. You still need to make sure that you're living right. You still need to make sure that you live your life in line with the will of God. You still need to make sure that you are ready to die today because just like when the Lord comes back again, if you die today, your eternal fate is going to be sealed forever. That's the gospel truth. And so in addition to asking you if you're ready for the return of Jesus, I want to ask you, are you ready to die? Are you ready to die if that occurred today? If not, then it's time to get ready because life is unpredictable. It's time to make sure that you're in Christ, that you believe in Jesus and repented of your sins and obeyed his commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if you wandered away from God's family, it's time to wake up, come to your senses and come back home and repent. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't play with your soul. Make sure you're always ready for death and the return of our Lord. And if we can help you with that, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.